We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again wherever the sermon may find you today. I must confess that being in a room surrounded by cameras and lights reminds me of a scene in a reality show where the person everyone thought was really good actually comes before the camera and confesses how he's been slowly double-crossing everyone in the show. You can rest assured that I, will be not, that I won't be sharing any such confessions with you today, but I will admit that being in front of the camera is probably one of the least places to find myself. Moving along swiftly, we are midway through our series entitled Reach, in which we explore the why and how we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. For many of us, sharing the gospel may bring up feelings of fear and trepidation. It's a very intimidating thing to do. And I am no different. When I read Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20 for the first time, a passage famously known as the Great Commission, my response was, surely this can't apply to me. Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Surely that applies only to the the disciples around him who are supernaturally gifted for that task. But if there is anything we have learned in this series so far is that each and every one of us are not only called but equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. But what is a disciple? A disciple is one who follows a teacher, and in this case, that teacher is Jesus. A disciple is someone who imitates and closely emulates the life of that teacher. My hope today is to simplify what making disciples means for you and I, to show you that we all possess the most powerful tool to make disciples, and that tool is the power of invitation, the simple request to come and see what we have seen. Whenever someone wants to get better at doing something, they seek an expert to help them. I am not an expert in making disciples by any means, but Jesus is. And we are going to look to the master disciple maker, Jesus, to learn how he called the first disciples and in turn how these disciples called others towards Jesus as well. So let's turn to John 1, verse 35 to 49. Before we get started, I want to set a little bit of context for this passage of Scripture. We're at a point where Jesus has just come out of the wilderness, having been tempted by Satan. He presents himself to John the Baptist to be baptized, and during this time, the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove, and John has the revelation that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he also testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. In the passage we're about to read, we're going to meet the first disciples, which are Andrew and his brother Simon, as well as Philip and his brother Bartholomew, or otherwise known as Nathaniel. All four of these men are fishermen, and Philip came from the same town as Andrew and Simon. So it stands to reason that they all knew each other to a certain extent. Let's jump into John 1, verse 35, and I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles. 
The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. John the Baptist starts this passage off by declaring a revelation that he had of who Jesus was, namely that he was the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He then shares his, this revelation with his disciples, who are the people in his life. As Steve mentioned last week, the people who were in his frame. He points them towards Jesus. I'm going to be using the word revelation a lot, so let's look at what that means. A revelation is defined as a surprising fact or truth that makes you look at things in a new way. So John's revelation of Jesus as the Lamb of God changed the way he interpreted all of Old Testament scripture, which had just been fulfilled in the person that he saw before him. The two who were following John then turn and start following Jesus. Their curiosity has been piqued by what John has shared with them. Jesus notices them following, and he turns to them and asks them, what do you want? Or as some translations put it, what are you seeking? Oftentimes, Jesus asks a question, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants us to ask ourselves that question, to unearth our real motivations behind what we are seeking. He asks them, what is your priority? What is your desire? You see, the Pharisees were seeking a Messiah that was going to be a powerful military leader that they thought would lead Israel into battle and overthrow their captors, Egypt, sorry, Rome at the time. The Bible tells us that Jesus rewards those who seek him, not just what, they can, what he can do for people. And the reward for seeking Jesus is Jesus himself. Andrew's reply to Jesus is interesting. He says, Rabbi, where are you staying? John revealed Jesus to Andrew as the Lamb of God. But having followed Jesus and most likely heard him teach, Andrew's revelation of Jesus is that he is the rabbi, a teacher. Each one of us starts with the revelation of who Jesus is based on what we have experienced or what we have encountered in him. Maybe you have a revelation of the grace of Jesus or the lordship or his healing power or his unconditional love. Whatever that revelation is, it's a starting point. And over time, as we get to know Jesus and grow in our relationship with him, we gain more and more revelations and more and more truths about who Jesus is. 
But these truths and revelations can only happen and can only occur if we spend time with Jesus ourselves. Aidan reminded us when he started off this series that in order to reach anybody, we ourselves need to find ourselves close to the Father. We need to remain in the Father so that we can be filled by his love for others. To make true disciples or followers of Jesus, we need to afford people the opportunity to meet Jesus themselves, to encounter him and come away with their own revelation. Because a faith based on borrowed revelation cannot be sustained. Andrew's response to Jesus' Jesus' question of what do you seek is another question, saying, where are you staying? The implication of his response, though, is I want to go where you go, Jesus. I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. Take me where you are. Andrew's answer to Jesus' question of what are you seeking is you. I'm seeking you, Jesus. To which Jesus' response is, come and you will see. This is the invitation Jesus has for all of us who seek him. He never turns anyone away. There are countless times in scripture where Jesus invites us to come to him with our needs. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink eternal water. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, those who are burdened. We can do an entire series in itself on the invitations that Jesus extends to us. The Bible tells us that we can freely come to Jesus and enter into relationship with him. And it is this truth that characterizes the Christian faith. But coming to Jesus requires an action of us. It requires us taking a step towards him. We can invite people to take that step towards Jesus, to make that move. But ultimately, it's up to them to execute on it. Andrew leaves his encounter with Jesus with another revelation, this time that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who has come to save his people. He has gone from recognizing Jesus as just a rabbi to now recognizing him as the Messiah. He shares this revelation of Jesus being the Messiah with Simon and brings Simon to Jesus. He invites him to come and see just as Jesus did. Andrew didn't wait for a full revelation to share this with Simon. He didn't wait until he had all his questions answered. He simply shared what he knew of Jesus so far. Simon, in turn, has his first encounter with Jesus, and Jesus uses it to speak destiny and identity over him. He doesn't wait for Simon to prove his loyalty or worthiness before he does this. He speaks the Father's heart and purpose to him in that moment. He says to him, I know your past. You are son of John, but this is your destiny. You are Peter, the rock. And later we see that Peter is a key part in building of the Christian church. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read verses 43 to 49, which tell us how Philip and Nathaniel met Jesus, but I encourage you to do so. 
There are a few aspects of this passage that I want to highlight for this sermon today. Jesus goes out and finds Philip. He intentionally seeks him out and calls him to himself, saying, come and follow me. Philip then turns around and does what Andrew did with Simon. He goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel, and tells him about the revelation he had about Jesus. In this case, after Philip has been with Jesus, he has the revelation that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies as written in the books of the law of Moses. Nathanael isn't impressed by Philip's revelation of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. In fact, his response is one of skepticism and judgment. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's already prejudiced against Jesus based solely on where he came from. How many times have we encountered people who have a prejudice against Jesus? Does that make us back away and not invite them to meet him? Bartholomew, or Nathaniel's skepticism, and his derision of Philip's revelation could have held him back from going to meet Jesus. But he agrees to go with Philip, and the two of them go meet him. Philip's response to Nathaniel's skepticism and judgment isn't an argument. He doesn't try and convince him right then and there of the reasons why he is right. He doesn't engage in a Facebook war with a thousand posts back and forth. He simply says, come and see for yourself. Jesus then sees Nathanael as he's approaching, filled with skepticism and likely not very excited about coming there. Jesus, who knows everything, could have easily turned to Nathanael and said, I know you. You're the guy who did this wrong thing last week and I know every bad thing you've ever thought of and every bad thing you've ever done. But he doesn't. Instead of condemning and judging Nathanael for his earlier comment, Jesus turns around and commends him. He commends him for being an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I love that. Jesus meets Nathanael's skepticism with grace and truth. Nathanael is then completely amazed, and he goes from being a skeptic to having a revelation of his own. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This passage in John gives us a three-step framework on how we can make disciples. And these three steps are something each and every one of us can easily do. Step number one is simple. Have a personal encounter with God. Because we cannot share what we do not have. After encountering Jesus, each person in this passage had their own revelation of an aspect of who Jesus was, like facets of a diamond. People recognized him as the Messiah, the Rabbi, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the King of Israel, all true and all part of a whole picture of who Jesus is. You might say to me, well, that's well and good for them. They had Jesus that they could go up to face to face and talk to. What do we do now when Jesus doesn't walk on earth in human form? Good question. 
For that, let's look at what an encounter means. An encounter means to come upon or meet with. So what are the ways in which we can meet with Jesus here and now? Firstly, it's through the scripture, otherwise known as the Bible, which is always available to us. It sustains us, it teaches us, it encourages us, and it reveals the character of God and Jesus to us. Secondly, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 14, Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit and he says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. An encounter with the Holy Spirit is an encounter with Jesus. Through, and the third way in which we can encounter Jesus is something that Steve covered last week when he spoke about us having the fragrance of Jesus upon us because we are anointed with the Spirit of Jesus when we enter into relationship with him. So encountering other people who also are believers in Jesus Christ enables us to have an encounter with Jesus himself. So we know step one, we have an encounter with Jesus. Step two is to share that encounter. And this is the part that often trips us up. There's something intensely vulnerable and intimidating about doing that. But Debs did a great job a couple of weeks ago of sharing about the importance of sharing our story, how God is working in our lives. And that's all we have to share. We just have to share what we know of God and what he is doing in our lives right now. But this sharing cannot happen unless we are opening our lives to other people. And sometimes I feel like I can't open my life to somebody because it's not perfect. But the reality is we need to invite people into our imperfection. This way we can show people that our lives are not perfect, that we mess up, that we have struggles. But despite that, our Jesus loves us, speaks destiny over us. It has unconditional love for us, speaks favor over us, and calls us a son and daughter. This demonstrates the true character and nature of God. He doesn't need us to be perfect. He just needs us to be open to him. The second way that we can share with other people is to be sure that we are sharing consistently. And for some of us, we may share our experiences of Jesus multiple times with multiple different people. Those same people, however, might be getting other believers sharing their lives and their encounters with Jesus with them. We never know which revelational truth that we bring to someone will be the truth that causes them to say yes to an invitation to come and see. Our responsibility lies with sharing, not in the response to the sharing. We've seen how Philip handled Nathaniel's skepticism and negativity regarding his revelation. We are sometimes put off by people's skepticism or negativity regarding the gospel. And we don't always have the answers to the questions they ask. All we have to do is say, come, come and see, and let's find out together. The third step to our framework of sharing the gospel 
is to invite others to have their own encounter with Jesus. The invitation to come and see is a powerful one. And it's one that we see happening multiple times in this one passage in John. We always need to be pointing people to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So how do we invite people to encounter Jesus themselves? We might think that it's actually harder to do it now since we're socially distancing and can't get within six feet of each other. But actually, with online services, there's nothing easier than sharing a link with somebody, either to a Sunday service or to a prayer meeting on a Wednesday. We have multiple touch points in which Jesus' presence can be manifest. And our desire is to link people up with those touch points. This might be inviting someone to a small group, or it might be inviting someone to a birthday party where you know other believers are going to be. It might be inviting someone to church on a Sunday or a women's meeting or a men's meeting. Anywhere where Jesus is glorified and his name is preached is somewhere where someone can encounter the love of the Father. You might say to me, she thought, well, it was all well and good for the disciples in Jesus' time, and I can see how it worked out for them. But can this kind of sharing and invitation actually work in our day and age? Well, funny you should ask that question. The answer is yes. And I have an example of it that involves four people, all from Chicago, and that happened just a few years back. This is just one story of many others that I know are happening right now. Since this story involves people that we do know, I have opted to use pseudonyms to try and protect their identity. Years ago, there was a man, and we'll call him Ike. Ike went to the gym quite regularly, and there he met a lady who we will call Fraulein because she was German. Ike and Fraulein got talking one day, and their plans for the weekend came up, and Ike mentioned that he goes to church on Sunday. And Ike invites Fräulein to church. Fräulein starts coming to church, and within a couple of weeks, she gets saved, becomes a new believer. Fast forward a couple of months, and Fräulein is at the gym. I think it's a different gym this time. She likes to work out. And she meets someone by the name of Aishel. Aishel used to live in Germany and knows how to speak German. So the two of them start to converse in German and hit it off, and Fräulein invites Aishel to go to brunch on Saturday. They hang out, they have a good time, and at the end of brunch, Fräulein asks Aishel, Hey, you know, I'm going to church tomorrow. Would you like to come with me? Aishel thinks about it and she says, Okay. So she accompanies Fräulein to church that Sunday. That very Sunday, Aishel gets saved. Fast forward a couple of years, and Aishal is introduced to a man who we will call Heck. Heck works with a colleague of Aishal's, and the two of them hit it off, and they start dating. A couple weeks into dating, Aishal sits Heck down and shares her revelation of Jesus. She shares with him why her faith is important to her and what she believes about having a relationship with Jesus. Heck responds by saying that he has been actually looking into churches, but he's not really sure about this whole Christianity thing so far. So Aishal says, hey, why don't you come and check it out? I go to this church on Sunday, 
come along with me. So Heck joins Aishal at church, and within four weeks, Heck gets saved. For those of you who don't know with my terrible pseudonyms, Heck happens to be Peck, and Michelle, Aishal, should I say, happens to be Michelle, both of whom are on our eldership team at Anthem Church. By simply inviting others, we see that four people's lives have been radically changed. We have the ultimate tool within our grasp to seek and save the lost, and that is the power of invitation. You might be listening this morning and you might say, well, Sheetal, that's all well and good, but I've never encountered Jesus. I don't know him and I don't have a relationship with him. The good news is you don't have to wait for that to happen. I would love to pray for you right now for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and enter into relationship with him. So if that's you, I'm going to ask that you respond in a way that you feel comfortable, whether it's raising your hands or closing your eyes, while I pray this prayer over you. If you say to me, Shigo, I've never encountered Jesus. I don't know what it is to be in relationship with him, but it's something that I want. I can tell you right now that Jesus' invitation to you in this moment is come and see. He's waiting with arms open to welcome you into a relationship with him that spans eternity, a relationship in which he meets our every need and desire, a relationship in which we can grow in love and knowledge of God, our creator. If that's you today, if you would like to take this opportunity to encounter Jesus for the very first time, won't you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. And I ask that right now you come into my life. Come and be Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I invite you to come and share that with us at Anthem for All forward slash testimony. If you are someone who does have a relationship with Jesus, but it's been a while since you've had an encounter with him, an experience that leaves you with a truth that cannot be shaken, I would love to pray for you right where you're at. The Holy Spirit does not need to follow the laws of geography. He is omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere. And right now, where you stand, he can fill you. He can fill you and let you experience the presence of God. So if you would like to experience an infilling of the Holy Spirit, won't you just raise your hands wherever you're standing? Father, I just thank you that your Spirit comes to help us, to comfort us, to reveal Jesus to us. Pray, Father, wherever there are people in this city, around the world, wherever they may be, Lord, that are hungry for you, won't you fill them? Fill them now, Holy Spirit, with your love, with your presence, and with your power. Thank you that you are faithful. I pray, Jesus, where there is sadness, you would bring joy. I pray where there is heaviness, you will bring lightness. Where there is anxiety, you would bring peace. 
thank you, Holy Spirit, that we could meet with you. That you fill us. Thank you that we can encounter you, Jesus. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.